podcasting from Dallas, Texas. I am Shireen, and this is the Yumlish Podcast. Yumlish is working to empower you to take charge of your health through diet and exercise and reduce the risk of chronic conditions like type 2 diabetes and heart disease. We hope to share a unique perspective and a culturally relevant approach to managing these chronic conditions with you each week. In today's episode with Dr. Wendy Mobley-Buckstein, we will be discussing better ways for physicians and clinicians to personalize healthcare for their patients and the tools and resources available to a clinician to enable them to do that. Dr. Wendy Mobley-Buckstein is an associate professor of pharmacy practice in the College of Pharmacy and Health Sciences at Drake University. She is a certified diabetes care and education specialist, board certified ambulatory care pharmacist, and certified health and wellness coach at Primary Health Care, Inc., a federally qualified health center in Des Moines, Iowa. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. An absolute pleasure, Dr. Mavlin Buxtein. I want to dive right in and ask you what led you to a federally qualified health center um, and working with the physicians to just better understand individuals, their cultures when it comes to healthcare. What was that journey like? Well, I will tell you, I you know I grew up in a very small midwestern town where everyone in the town um, looked like me. So we were all white, Caucasian, um, you know, not really very diverse at all. I decided that I wanted to become a pharmacist at a very early age when I was in sixth grade. And so I, um, I really worked hard uh, throughout all of my schooling just to make sure that I was prepared. And I chose to come to Drake University, um, which is where I teach now. And um, Drake has always been a very known for its very diverse cultural nature, uh, very welcoming nature as far as um, students are concerned. And so it was, um, it was really there that I learned a lot more about diversity and culture and race and ethnicity and a lot of things that I feel like I kind of missed out on in my childhood, um, to be really honest. And so um, I went back home and I worked in a critical access hospital um, in Illinois for about 10 years. And then um, the position at Drake became available and I applied for it and I actually got the job. So um, I now have worked in um, the federally qualified health center that I'm at currently for about seven years since 2015. And what I found there is just, I love to be able to, I think, utilize my curious nature and be able to ask questions and learn more about um, people's traditions and some of the different ethnic foods that they like and how are those things going to affect perhaps their chronic diseases and so I think it's probably just the passion of learning about things and and learning more about just different people and different cultures and, and different places to know more about just how they live and how we can incorporate those things that are uh, very important to them from culture or perhaps family tradition, those kinds of things, how can we incorporate those things into their life and not um, perhaps ask them to stop doing something that's important to them? Dr. Marley Buxton, you bring up a very interesting factor. So you're talking about all of this diversity in the way someone 
grows up in the environment that they have and how important it is, um, especially when it comes to talking about delivering care. Now, there are several factors there to consider when medical professionals are seeing patients. Um, I mean, it, it can be very loaded, right, because you've got religion, gender, ethnicity, race, background, lots of different things. How do you sort of sift through all of that? How do you um, meet the individual where they are? Sure. So I, I am, again, very curious by nature. So I ask a lot of questions. Um, a lot of times, you know, I think um, probably the, the old me or the previous me before um, maybe coming into the federally qualified health center, I would have assumed a lot of things. And, um, you know, I don't, I don't really do that anymore. I ask a lot of questions. And I think sometimes people think I'm a little too nosy, um, you know, just because I, I do. I'm curious and I want to know more about it, you know. So we have a very large Bosnian um, refugee population here um, that we see. And so, you know, in the beginning, I just, I felt like, well, would, would every single person that um, is Bosnian perhaps celebrate Ramadan or observe Ramadan? And no, not everyone does. A majority do, but not all. And so then we had to talk about, especially with my diabetes background, we really had to talk about, well, how does fasting um, during Ramadan affect your blood sugar? And how are we going to uh, work around some of the different parameters that, you know, each different, um, perhaps, uh, I don't know, I guess denomination or, or maybe, you know, of, of um, would perhaps celebrate, you know? And so sometimes the children have certain uh, maybe rules that they follow versus the adults who maybe follow different rules and and then you get kind of the the tweens or teens who are kind of like in between following the kids rules and the adult rules and <laughs> some of those things so I think it's important to ask you know where are you at in your you know in your religion or um, you know we also have a very large population of Hispanic patients and so asking asking a lot of questions there because I think you know, when I think of traditional, let's say just Mexican, for example, food, I think of rice and beans and tortillas. And I've come to learn that not every single person who is from Central America eats rice or eats beans or eats both. Um, so I think it's really important to think about just how do you ask those questions? And so we do um, often do a deep dive into their diet where I'll say, okay, tell me how many meals you eat a day. What time of day would you eat those meals? What would those meals consist of? Um, because I think of breakfast in the morning, and you know, breakfast for me might be overnight oatmeal or eggs or something like that. Where some of my patients, it's maybe it is eggs, but it's also beans wrapped in a tortilla, or um, you know, maybe they're eating something that I would consider lunchtime. But it's really important for me to know what those things are. Um, and then how they're prepared. So I get really nosy about that too. Tell me how you prepare that, what's in this? Um, and so we ask a lot of those questions and I think that that, um, you know, that leads us down a lot of different paths and, and again, just more questioning and, and tell me more about what, what that is or how you're doing this or, um, you know, if you're not taking your lunch every day, where are you eating at? Um, you know, and those kinds of things to find out like, are you eating at an you know, an independent restaurant, or are you just going to the gas the, the gas station convenience store and picking something up, and and how we can work through some of those kinds of obstacles? 
when clinicians are personalizing healthcare to their patients like you are, um, can you speak to a little bit about the sociocultural background, how you navigate for that, and how, and I guess another question would be what we hear from federally qualified health centers is to say, well, we're stretched thin. We don't have time to get to know them that way. So what would you say to that as well? Well, I, um, the lucky thing for me is that I get to decide how long my appointments are. So um, when I have an initial appointment, I block 60 minutes. Um, and so, you know, sometimes, especially if we have to do interpretation, so perhaps the, the individual speaks a different language and one that I don't, that I don't speak. So I'm not fluent in any other language besides English. I know a lot of Spanish uh, <laughs> and I'm learning Bosnian. Uh, but I think that, um, you know, there's just a lot of different languages out there. And so I can pick out words and, and different phrases that are being said because I've heard them multiple times, but uh, we do use a lot of interpreters. And so when we do use the interpretation, um, the interpretation uh, facility, then we are usually looking at maybe an hour and a half for that, in, that initial intake. Um, and that's just because, you know, it has to go from me to the interpreter to the person and then back. And so it does take a little bit more time. Um, for follow-up appointments, I schedule 30 minutes. Um, and again, that's just so that we have ample time to be able to spend on things, really question a lot of things. Um, you know, I think the biggest, the biggest thing that we are seeing, at least I think in healthcare in general, is just uh, since COVID, there's just a lot of vacancies everywhere. People are, um, you know, for one reason or another, not returning to the workforce and trying to figure out kind of why that's happening, um, you know, I think is a is a key, a key factor to trying to get places back up to full staff again. Um, the nice thing about me being at the, the federally qualified health center that I'm at is that I'm fully funded by the university. Um, and so they don't have to worry too much about how they're going to pay me um, and my my services are not paid um, or are not charged to the patient so the way that we work is we work through quality indicators so we are a patient-centered medical home within our clinic and so everything that I do we're trying to work towards improving that that person's quality of life thus hopefully improving the quality indicators um, that the patient-centered medical home um, is utilizing this year so they are able to choose I think there's somewhere around 44 or 45 different quality indicators and the different providers with medical providers within our clinic are able to choose a certain subset of those that they're really working on with their patient population so they've gone back through utilizing different quality um, markers and had our quality department pull reports from our electronic health record and then they're able to choose um, which ones they think are most important to the patients that they see. Um, so I, I would say I, I make an impact on maybe about five to seven um, of those quality indicators, mainly doing with cholesterol, blood pressure, and diabetes, um, cardiac disease, those kinds of things, anything that would kind of, I would say, follow diabetes around. So. Um, but I, to your point, as, as far as like this, the social um, background and those kinds of things, you know, our patients that are coming into the federally qualified health center, some of them are experiencing homelessness right now. Um, some of them have a home, 
but aren't able to afford food. So they're, you know, food insecure. We're helping them find food pantry. We're helping them get, um, apply for food stamps, um, some of those kinds of things. We do have a mobile food pantry that comes to our clinic and parks in the parking lot once a week. And so there are times when, um, you know, if I've talked with the patient and they said, you know, this week I had to spend my money that I had budgeted for food on medication, so I, I don't have any money to buy food, and I'll say, well, is there a way for me to give you a bus token or a cab fare to be able to come over to the clinic on Wednesday when the food truck is here, and we'll walk through it and we'll find some things for you to take home to have um, to eat this week. So. There's different ways to do that. We also, um, again, have relationships with a lot of the different food pantries in Des Moines um, and are able to uh, refer patients to those, especially ones that are close to where they live. So those are just some examples. But, um, you know, I think that that's, we're, we're trying to connect all those different resources within the community to, to really help individuals get what they need. And I, and I think that's one of the unique things being associated with the federally qualified health center that it's not, you know, when, when people talk about seeing a physician or even seeing a clinician for that matter, it's just, oh, I get the 10 minutes and that's pretty much it because they're circling through. But what I'm hearing from you is as a federally qualified health center, there are those other qualitative measures that have also to be met. Um, and that includes the health and well-being of the patient population. Absolutely. I mean, you know, it's not just about going in and checking out about your chronic conditions because there are a lot of different things. I'm sure you've heard the, the term um, food is medicine. And so for a lot of our a lot of our patients, if they're not able to eat and they're not e- able to eat in a nutritious way, um, you know, we're really probably not going to get their health conditions better controlled. And so I often talk with um, my patients about the fact that, you know, yes, we're going to talk about activity. And I often tell them, I'm never going to say physical activity. I'll just say activity. Um, seems to, to um, be a little bit more receptive <laughs> when you when you don't put that whole physical part in front of it. I don't know. Um, but, you know, I, I talked to them about the fact that, like, you know, exercise or activity only lowers your A1C by about 0.6%, which is not a huge amount. And, and so we really want people doing activity because it, it helps strengthen their cardiovascular system, which is an area that diabetes tends to wreak havoc on as it progresses. And so that's really what we're looking for is, is for more cardiovascular health through that exercise than for weight loss. We're going to be looking and turning to food and what they're eating and how they're eating and trying to utilize that as a way to really help control or manage their chronic disease in a little different way. So, um, you know, when we when we see those individuals who are having um, food insecurity or perhaps live in a food desert um, where there aren't places besides perhaps a convenience store um, or at a gas station to be able to buy something at, how are they going in and really looking at the things that are available there and making, you know, choices that are best for them? You know, your, your approach, Dr. Mobley-Buxton, is, is very unique and rare, right? Not a lot of clinicians are getting to know their patients at that level. Over the years, have you met with any resistance around that, either from patients or clinicians around you? What has that been like for you? I think the, 
the really great thing is that the, the providers in our clinic have been very receptive. In fact, the internal medicine office, which is where I'm housed at within the clinic, was who brought me into the clinic in the beginning. Um, they were moving from another clinic who had had a CDCES, um, Diabetes Educa Care and Education Specialist, in their clinic, and they were moving to this clinic, and that person was not moving with them. And so they were very adamant about having another person like that in the clinic. And so that was when I was moved um, into this particular role. And I think that it's, um, I have been fortunate, I guess, in the fact that I've been able to really uh, make the make the position what it is and, and work it the way that I want to work it. And so I think that that's what's um, probably been the best part of it. But I think having that support from the medical providers in the clinic was a huge thing. And having that, that you know, we have two physician champions that really are like, we need you here. And now I have the residents and the residents like, it's so great when you're here. Um, you know, because they come in and they sit down and they ask questions and we review things and they'll say, well, this is what I know. And, and we just share information back and forth. And I think that that's what's really important is really that information sharing and that communication because then we're able to really get to know the patient on a, on a holistic level rather than just kind of this, just right under the surface level, um, you know, of that patient. And so really trying to be able to help them in ways that, that perhaps, you know, in the past they haven't had um, individuals in their medical care be as involved. What helpful tools do clinicians, including physicians, have in place to work with their patients, again, at the level that you do that is so personalized? Are there any programs that are in place today? And I know it's, it's different across the nation, uh, but what general programs perhaps are available and tools available um, for federally qualified health center for hospitals, health systems? There are quite a few, I would say, federal programs that are available, and it's I think sometimes you have to go looking for them. So maybe your public health department, um, like our state health department, uh, we have obviously the diabetes prevention program, which is for individuals who are at risk to develop type two diabetes. Um, it's a lifestyle behavior change program. So we have that. We also have diabetes self-management education and support um, programs. So we're able to provide, we provide individual, some DSMES programs provide group um, where you have kind of the support of one another and you're able to talk to one another. And um, we haven't been able to do that because of COVID. Um, we'll, we'll be moving back into some group, small group activities, um, hopefully in the, in the coming months, but we haven't been able to do groups since 2020. Um, right now we're just doing individuals. So when the patient comes in to see their medical provider, we're also going in and seeing them at the same time. Um, so that they only have to come for one visit rather than having to come back for multiple visits. Um, we also have, um, I've written a couple of grants where I've gotten grant money, and so I've been able to um, afford to have professional continuous glucose monitors in the clinic. So when we have individuals that we're not getting their um, hemoglobin A1C where we would like to have it at, um, we're putting, we're asking, can we put one of these professional monitors on you? And it records their blood sugar for 14 days. And so I get all of this information and I can really see trends of, oh, well, you're always high about 10 o'clock in the morning. Maybe we're not doing a good job of 
covering whatever it is you're having at breakfast or maybe we need to talk about what you are having at breakfast and seeing how we can adjust. Um, so sometimes it's about food intake, sometimes it's just that we're not managing the medication um, to the best of its ability. And so being able to use those things. Um, additionally, uh, Walk With Ease is a program that's available. Um, this is a program that's available for people with lung disease. So learning how to um, build lung capacity and doing it in, a, in small um, increments, but then helping people, you know, with, I would say, even mobility issues. So arthritis, um, some of those kinds of things, but it's a program that helps them learn how to walk and, um, and walking for exercise, basically, but not having to run or, <laughs> or do anything, um, you know, too strenuous. So it's a really nice program. Um, our state health department runs that program as well. We also have one called Wise Woman, which is a program that um, assists women in making sure that they're getting all of their reproductive um, health being taken care of. So mammograms, um, pap smears, uh, you know, just all of the different types of uh, reproductive health for women. Um, it also allows us to do a medication review with those women as well, just to make sure that they are um, taking the medications that their provider is uh, prescribing and making sure that they're taking them appropriately and that they know what they're for and all those kinds of things. So there are a lot of programs out there. I think it's just a matter of getting yourself connected with those different programs and finding out what's available. So calling your, your public, uh, you know, your county or even your state health department and saying, hey, what programs do you have available for people um, that, you know, perhaps are low cost or no cost um, and how can I get involved with those programs? How does the how does the state or the county or even federally um, how do they look at cultural competence in healthcare? What is the, what is this place in providing adequate healthcare to an individual? So I would say um, most of our programs are available um, in different um, in different languages. Um, so right now, at least at our clinic, we're we're providing the diabetes prevention program in both English and Spanish. Um, I think the biggest thing would be to find community health workers that could be trained, um, that are from other uh, races, other ethnicities, other cultures, to be able to have them come in and be able to help. So me as a lifestyle coach for the Diabetes Prevention Program, um, you know, if I could have someone who was from Bosnia or perhaps is from Kenya or Ethiopia, um, which is where a lot of my refugees are from, um, you know, come in and help me with, one, with interpretation. Sometimes with um, my African refugees, it's harder because many of them speak different languages even when they're from the same country. Um, and so sometimes that's a little bit harder. Um, but, you know, when you get a group of individuals that all speak the same language and having a community health worker who could be trained to assist in that, you know, lifestyle behavior change program, that is a big, a big help. And so really trying to find individuals um, in the community who are wanting to help their community and then bringing them in and training them up. That's very helpful. Um, with that, we are towards the end of the episode. Um, at this point, I would love for our listeners to know how they can connect with you and then just learn more about your work. Sure. So um, I am, you can find my my bio on the Drake uh, University um, College webpage. It's drake.edu. But additionally, um, social media, I, I tend to post a lot. So I'm on Twitter, WM Buckstein. 
Um, I am also on LinkedIn. Um, and so there, Wendy Mobley Buckstein. And um, a lot of times on LinkedIn is a little bit more professional type of posts. So things that are related to pharmacy, diabetes, advocacy. I do a lot of advocacy work um, in the pharmacy and diabetes space. Um, but Twitter is usually a little bit more my place where I'm posting things related to diabetes and, um, you know, just helping individuals out. So more than happy to connect with people, though. Uh, really, really looking forward to um, continuing this conversation online for sure. Absolutely. And with that, Dr. Mobley-Bexine, thank you so very much for your time. Um, to our listeners that are listening to this episode, let's continue that conversation um, on Facebook, on Instagram. Head over to our Yumlish page there and answer this quick question. How has your physician personalized health care for you? So again, head over to our social media on Facebook, on Instagram. Find this podcast post there and comment and tell us below how exactly your physician has been able to personalize health care for you. Again, with that, Dr. Mobley-Luxi, thank you so very much for your time. Thank you. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to the Yumlish Podcast. Make sure to follow us on social media at Yemlish underscore on Instagram and Twitter and at Yemlish on Facebook and LinkedIn for tips about managing your diabetes and other chronic conditions and to chat and connect with us about your journey and perspective. You can also visit our website, yemlish.com for more recipes, advice, and to get involved with all of the exciting opportunities Yemlish has to offer. If you like this week's show, make sure to subscribe so you can hear more from us every time we post. Thank you again, and we'll see you next time. Remember, your health always comes first. Stay well.